This is Illiterate. My name is Evan. My name is Taylor. I read some stuff this week. I watched a movie this week. We are covering In the Heights. That's right. Lin-Manuel Miranda is back at it again. And right off the top of the, I mean, we'll, we'll get to it late in the show, but man, it has been caught up in some scandal. And so we are here to undress <laughs> the monster here. <laughs> we are going to go into the history of musicals, where In the Heights came from. Seems like it's on the back of Hamilton, which we did an episode on. Absolutely. And so. Lin-Manuel Miranda shooting through the stratosphere. But this has taken 13 years in development to be made, including an extra eight if you want to count the real first draft, which My we'll God. get into. But God, that's also part of it, Pre- too. It's like, <laughs> like this is a, it's like it's comprised in different 13 years is a long time over <laughs> a decade. My God. Plus another eight. Yeah. Just way before Hamilton and any of that stuff. The Broadway show came out in 2008. We might also get into more questions than answers, so feel free to reach out to us at Illiterate Pod. Yeah, you... we're curious about this. You know, this is a conundrum, and we, you know, we we want to leave you with some questions at the end. So please get back in touch with us if you if you're into it, because it won four Tony Awards, including Best Musical. So the musical, magnificent musical film, different ball game. Yeah. Here's the question: Why Lin Manuel Miranda did the musical straight off the bat? He yeah. grew up in Washington Heights. Hmm. So here it is, Washington Heights. He's in it. He's not some random person. It's where he lived. And he said, quote, music comes out of every corner. He had a very musical family, including musicals. His dad was in the fan club for real Broadway musicals. So he heard all sorts of music. This is why he's interested in this as a medium. Very good. And then Washington Heights as a place. Interestingly, I saw just recently because of this film, New York City is having a campaign to promote different places featured in the film and sort of a tourist angle on it. But of course, residents are worried about gentrification because it is one of, if not the cheapest neighborhoods of Manhattan. Oh, really? I didn't know that. So people are worried about that. Yeah. As it. No, don't tell everybody about it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Great. Look at people are singing in the streets. (laughs) A mile and a half square or 4.2 square kilometers. Wow. Pretty yeah. small space, 151,000 people Okay, in just that small area. And then some famous people that are also from there. Cardi B is oh, from yeah. there. Okay. And then on the acting side, Lawrence Fishburne. Oh, no way. Yeah. There. yeah. And of course, Lin-Manuel Miranda. Hmm. So the prominent thing in the film is Latinx population primarily in this borough. I looked into the history of that because I'm always curious about, well, what caused this to be? So a a couple things I could see. Basically, by 1970, native Spanish speakers were the majority group there. And a big thing that happened in the 60s was the Dominican Civil War in the Dominican Republic. So there was a lot of economically motivated movement but people are still culturally attached to the DR, and they would send money home and eventually want to retire back to the island, which then becomes a facet of the film. Mm-hmm. Coupled with, in the 60s, the Immigration Act of 1965, signed by the US, there was a bunch of restrictions and preferences that were considered racially discriminatory against people that weren't from Northwestern Europe. Oh, wow. So a lot of those things got removed in terms of quotas and caps and yeah. amounts of people from different places. So that became the reason historically. Mm-hmm. Here, Lin-Manuel Miranda is living in this place. 
he goes to school at Wesleyan. Okay. Which I think we, we mentioned, we didn't mention him as much in Hamilton in our Hamilton episode. So this is going to be a little bit about him and his More journey. His backstory, and the earliest yeah. thing. And I love talking about this stuff as it goes on to God, this thing change, like things change so much. And if you look at a piece of work, I just listened to a podcast about the song. Hallelujah. Yeah. And how much it changed Leonard Cohen's thing. It was like five different things and then 20 and he had 500 different verses. Oh, yeah. Like it, it's so much changing and adaptation. It goes through so a metamorphosis. Absolutely. Yes. And and we have to remember that it is a process. These things don't just come <laughs> out fully formed and perfect. Is it, it really people pour over this stuff and tinker mm-hmm. on it and tweak it. And and, and that's how they, that, they just little adjustments. Mm-hmm. So that will come out in here, and w- maybe we can see how that some of that adapting to the right. movie alters the content of it and the tone and whatnot. So he wrote the earliest draft in 1999 during his sophomore year of college. Mm. He's a little baby boy, <laughs> and uh, was accepted by Wesleyan's theater company to do for a weekend. So they're like, "Yeah, you can do it." In the spring, hmm. for three days, you can have your performance. But he only had one song written. Okay. So he worked on it nonstop during winter break. And like I said, played for three days in 2000 as an 80-minute, one-act show called wow. In the Heights. Wow. And so essentially, that's what I you know read as, right, a, as a piece right. of literature. I, didn't, I couldn't find all of it, but I did find a lot about it and what, what actually went into it. So we'll get into it's one some of the of that. rare ones where the source isn't exactly published and out there and fully available. I guess right. It was that he he did it for three days. Yeah, you know, <laughs> you know. <laughs> in college, uh, it's not out there. The musical influences I thought were interesting: Ruben Blades and then Juan Luis Guerra. He had this amazing salsa song translated. The title is "If We Had Oil Here," which asks if we had oil in the Dominican Republic, how rich would we be, and what would we do with the money? Mm. Which is a direct, you know, that song ninety six thousand, which yeah. is what would we do if we won the lottery? Right. Okay. So it's 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 pulling from that too. It's kind of tragic and happy and and strange to hear that, but he's pulling that from a salsa song that he listened to as a kid. Very interesting. And then I also saw, he said, Big Pun, who was the first Puerto Rican rapper to go platinum. Mm. I'll post a link to a compilation of his songs. The cadence, the technical rap and internal rhyme schemes that he uses. Like, it it sounds a lot, all I know is Hamilton, but it It sounds sounds a lot like the the rapping of Hamilton. I mean, man, you know, the second it starts, you go, yeah, this is that. You know, this is is (laughs) Lin-Manuel, you know, that, oh, here here it all is. Here's the team. Yeah, but I loved finding a uh, a Puerto Rican rapper who he said he was inspired That's by. Incredible. It's like, oh yeah, the technicality and the, yeah. the way that it rhymes and the the cadence of it is very similar. I so love that. Click on that link if you're interested in Absolutely. that. As far as actual musicals, not just music, Rent was a huge influence. Obviously, Bohemian artists in the East Village. Rent mm-hmm. came out in '96 on Broadway, and Lin Manuel is like, "Oh, you can do a story about your life. <laughs> like it doesn't have to be <laughs> right. some fantastical thing." So, and then the other thing he wanted to go against—it's not like West Side Story, which was one of the only few high-profile musicals to feature Puerto Rican characters, but it centers around a gang, and they're holding knives to people. Yeah, yeah it's, it's the like, exact no, opposite. Don't we got that one? We yeah. uh, that is not everybody's experience, nor is it the majority of people's experience. <laughs> right? He said what he said. <laughs> Yeah, he said, Washington Heights, most people are not involved in crime or drugs. It's inauthentic for me right. to write about drug deals and domestic abuse. That's not. And it's funny because a few, not funny, but it's interesting that a few of the reviews I saw for early shows after it was 
in tryouts and then off Broadway, they mention, oh, there's no crime or drugs mm. in this. And it's like, well, yeah, that's not that's not what he why. Why is that the case? So there's like an inherent racism in the early reviews of why doesn't it have this because it doesn't exist in washington heights because it's about a real place (laughs) yeah and his experience and so that's that's what it is so he's not west side story (laughs) yeah with a with a very uplifting upbeat still people's problems but his real life experience so just this three-day thing broke box office records for the school's theater oh cool yeah And then there were seniors at the school that saw it and said, hey, we want to help you make this into a Broadway show after graduation. But remember, he's a sophomore. So he's like, Mm -hmm. "Okay, sure thing. And then forgets about it. Mm -hmm. They are telling the truth. Two years later, they come back to him. Two seniors and some other alumni approach him and say, hey, remember, (laughs) we want to do your thing to get it eventually to Broadway. So this is in 2002. He works with the director, Thomas Kale who then also was the director for Hamilton. Mm. So that this becomes his cadre of people yeah. that he ends up working with. So now it's changing because it was an 80-minute, one-act thing. So he's writing five different drafts of this while teaching seventh-grade English wow. at his old high school during the day. Oh, like He didn't man. go straight into immediate Broadway success. He's mm-hmm. a high school teacher. And then Chiara Alegria Hudes joined the team in 2004 for the book which is the script, the dialogue, the stage direction, not the music and lyrics. So she's added on. I, I wanted to, I teased it, but the differences from the one act to what people saw on Broadway, the big featured story was a love triangle, which does not oh, appear at all oh, yeah. in the off-Broadway or Broadway production. So the story behind this is based on personal experiences. Lynn, one of his best friends since kindergarten, came out to him the summer before they both separated and went off to college. Oh, wow. And so this was a big part of him and understanding relationships. And so this is a character called Lincoln, which doesn't appear, like I said, but it's in the one-act thing. And Benny, uh, who is the black character prominently featured in the script, and Nina have their romance, and Lincoln is in love with Benny, his best friend. (gasps) So this is the primary story and Uh, situation of the 80-minute original thing. Oh, my God. Yeah. I I was fascinated to find Usnavi, who is the main character, basically, is just a side character who ran the bodega. He doesn't feature prominently in the original thing. Oh, wow. Yeah. This is blowing my mind, man, because I haven't (laughs) even gotten, you know, I have a lot of thoughts about the movie. And this is really answering a lot of what I was really caught up with it. And I don't want to get ahead of myself, but this is really (laughs) interesting. Um, Yeah. Yeah. The Lincoln character sounds incredible. And I want to come back to that. Yeah, so that led me to say, okay, well then, why get rid of that? You know, if that's the plot yeah. of the 80-minute thing. Yeah. So historic, you have to look at what's around it. And they also said in an interview, Thomas Kell and Lin-Manuel, that Avenue Q, huge Broadway production, had come out in 2003. Remember, they're working on this from 2002 yeah. Yeah. into 2004 and so on. And it has that as a huge plot point. And they said, oh, oh they're doing this way better. There's a character who's closeted and is in love with their best friend. Hmm. That's a whole subplot of that musical. And so they said, well, we don't want to do exactly what Hmm. this musical is doing that has just come out. So that's why they updated it and got rid of it and made Usnavi the main character. That's fascinating. And it's a bit of a shame because it could have been a huge breath of fresh air for this. If it tracked from the inception of it to this modern film or 
bringing it back in. So Usnavi becomes the main character, originally played by Lin-Manuel Miranda. Abuela Claudia gets added also. She wasn't in the original 80-minute thing. And this is based on a Puerto Rican woman who helped raise Lynn and his sister and loved gambling and slot machines and and whatnot. And so she's involved now. He said that he's Mm. written over 50 songs for the show. So it's almost a completely different thing by this point. Very Uh, interesting. By 2005, they're having the tryout, the off-Broadway thing for a few months in 2007, and then it goes to Broadway in 2008. Mm Mm-hmm. Again, talking about some of the conflicting things, talking about West Side Story, as they're bringing it to Broadway, there are Broadway producers who are struggling with the pitch to put this on. They wanted Nina to have more of a dramatic reason for leaving school than the pressures of being the first in the family to go. Mm -hmm. And literally all real pitches, Lynn said, they said, why isn't she pregnant? Why isn't she in a gang? Why isn't she coming out of an abusive relationship? Like, these are all the things that people are saying. And he's like, no, I don't want these to be the conflicts so can that be, are always represented. It's like, I, it's, I'm okay if we wanted to have another, you know, more of a reason, valid, yeah. but wow, there is more to people's lives than <laughs> that is yeah. disheartening in all sorts of ways. But they stuck to their guns yeah. and they didn't yeah. change any of that yeah. with, with all the stuff they changed to put it on Broadway. Over a thousand performances closed in 2011. And so many tours outside of the U.S., Panama, Brazil, the United Kingdom, Mm -hmm. fascinating to me, Japan. And I read, and I'll post a link to an article about this, because they sing it in Japanese. It's all Japanese actors. But it's it's about Washington Heights and a Hispanic community (laughs) primarily there. Yeah, yeah. But they say they do it justice because it's about the energy in the heart. And it's like, yeah, how would you bring this to an audience to understand unless it's in... Japanese. Well, you know, I'm, I'm, yeah. I, I, off of our, uh, our Godzilla episode, I'm like, I absolutely, I, because they, that culture, they dig into it, man, and they, yeah. they appreciate things and they, they, they throw their twist on it and they throw it back out into the world. I, I'm, I'm into it. After the Godzilla episode, <laughs> I'm like, hey, absolutely. <laughs> and then similarly in South Korea, K pop and hip hop stars were, were involved in, mm. the, in the cast as well. So that was super interesting. Here comes, the film production process. So November of 2008, the Broadway show started the exact same year. Universal gets the rights and they say, we're going to release it in 2011. Kiara is going to write the screenplay. She wrote the book for it. Obama's president (laughs) making this y'all new world. (laughs) Universal canceled it though. The situation was they said they were looking for a bankable star like Shakira or J-Lo instead Mm. of unknowns. Mm -hmm. And that's Test international, Lynn said, is the phrase heard over and over again. Oh, who is going to bring in equitable yeah, to what yeah. we're spending? What, what person in what role brings up a, a certain percentage that will make this viable? So that's very disheartening to the process because it's like, well, we want that's how you get good people is you right. get people that people don't know or well, nobody's done this before. So how exactly you know, we can't do, we want we can't people get somebody who's been in everything to do the thing that's never <laughs> been done before. Because then it's like all the other things. (laughs) So there's, I found interviews and stuff where Lynn is like, yeah, they're making it into a movie. And then other times he's like, I'm not saying anything until I'm on the set because (laughs) it just seemed like this big, huge burst. This is his first big thing out of school. And then they're going to make it into a movie, et cetera. So here comes an interweaving of our other episode. In the meantime, Mm. Lynn goes on vacation, reads a bio of Alexander Hamilton. <laughs> boom, boom, boom. Here we are. This opened. Well, I can mess around with this. <laughs> yeah. And then that came out in 2016. In the Heights is still 
in the ether. Development. But here comes Hamilton on Broadway. Good Lord. He's doing great. So then in 2016, another film production. Yeah, yeah, another film production company gets it. John Chu is set to direct. Unfortunately, it's the Weinstein Company. Mm. And so the very next year, Kiara says, we got to take this elsewhere. They get the rights back because they're like, we can't work with these people. Also, in the meantime of her not working on this, she won the 2012 drama Pulitzer Prize for her play Water by the Spoonful. No way. So she's doing just as well outside of this thing not being turned into a film. So Warner Brothers woos them, which never happens where the studio (laughs) sets up everything. You got to pitch to 95 people and get rejected. But they created a whole big shebang and built a bodega on their back lot and did all this nonsense. So they got it in 2018. And then it was supposed to be released in 2020. Lo and behold, a year later. So here comes kind of what you teased at the beginning. Here's just my little piece of it in terms of the film world. Hispanics and Latinos accounted for 29% of tickets sold last year, and they represent 18.5% of the U.S. population. Mm. But they are only in 4% of film roles represented. So that's sort of the setup for, okay, now here's this film and here's why it makes sense and here's some of the backlash that it's been getting or some of the problems with it as people see it. One of the most shocking things that has happened uh, in the wake of this being released is that it has been embroiled in a colorism scandal. It's completely taken the focus of their press junkets. People are saying that the the film, which is set in Washington Heights, which has a population that's nearing you know 50% or more black population to which that's not represented in the lead cast Mm -hmm. and then they're saying that within that lead cast nearly uniformly they look to be cast as white passing latina more light skinned i was concerned with the color grade because i i i've honestly never seen most of these people just a press photo of somebody on the red carpet so i don't know what most of these people look like in real life I do know the process of filmmaking and what a film like this goes through in finishing and the color grade that they put on this to adjust everything so that everything looks uniform and it evokes a certain tone and feel. It's really touchy. And looking at the film myself, there are some white people presented in the film. And when they are confronted with these this Latina main character cast, they do look bridging on indistinguishable, which is 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 troubling. It's very troubling. But it might not be as as straightforward as they picked them because they have light skin color. They might not, actually. And this might be more in this might here and lay more in the post production process and the color that this film has put on it. So I'm really, really touchy to say, you know, what's going on here, what the problem is. Lin-Manuel and much of the people involved have been been trying to make up for this and apologize for this but it has really exploded out of nowhere this is the most shocking thing dropped on it we we set this on the schedule a long time ago and we thought oh this is a home run and this would be a you know delight to cover uh nothing controversial and and this has exploded uh onto them this week i mean it's it's worth talking about uh but you know when it comes to us we don't we don't have the answers here but we what we can do is try to lay out exactly what the conversation that is happening in the public eye, what that is, and, and try to like, you know, if you've heard a colorist, what's wrong? I, I hope that I, I, I lend to you some very yeah. specific insight as to what the conversation is. And I'll throw out some differences that I found from the film to the musical 
on Broadway. Yeah. Not the original 80 minute thing, but I did see some of the things that they cut. Not that this lends to white washing, color grading, any of mm-hmm, that stuff, mm-hmm. but just some topic pieces that they changed that are interesting that might have enhanced certain tonal qualities to the story itself. So Nina and Benny's relationship, Benny is the only primary black main character in the cast. In the original Broadway show, their relationship is blocked by her father's racism, Mm. which is a huge piece that he has to get over. Right. The father, that is, and accomplish. And so that becomes a big part. And and you had said off mic that it's kind of a side, like he's not he's not not important but it is more off to the side and it has to do more with her schooling and, yes and, it's more that, centered around nina than him right and so that to me seems like a very interesting nuanced plot device to yeah. say oh here's this guy who is also racist right is very interesting and jen had that to i mean to confront that in the film i, I don't it's that is, there's another path there that's very interesting. This is, and mm-hmm. then I'm now I'm thinking of the Lincoln character again, bringing back the, mm-hmm. the one who's in love with his best friend. It's just, yeah. these, this is texture that has less to do with socioeconomic problems and more about real interpersonal drama and yeah. being in a place and time with certain people. So uh, another facet of that with this relationship, Nina's mother, who is dead in the film, features prominently as a part of this whole family dynamic in the original musical. She's the peacemaker of the family. But like I said, she's removed entirely. She has a song in the musical called Enough about this issue with her husband and whatnot. And she's this strong female character who is holding the family together. Yeah. Uh, So all of that is gone as well as five other songs, of course, they have to cut things down for time. The, the film is already... Sure, like, it, is it is long. Yeah. It is two <laughs> and a half hours, yeah. Yeah, so that's interesting to me, those pieces to cut. And then yeah. the script as well, this might not be true, but they said... We'll delve into as, the scandalous for <laughs> yeah, the moment as, if you as, as counting it, and I could imagine this, fewer than 10 lines from the Broadway script made it into the film because they have wow. to add plot. They have to add wow. what wow. works in well, the you film. Know, and as we covered with black, you know, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, I don't know that actually being so, you know, uh, precious with the source material necessarily does you favors, but it's a, mm-hmm. it's a process of understanding what serves your purpose and what doesn't. Uh, mm-hmm. What I commend this whole process for is it seeming to be such a fertile groundwork that it's just idea after idea. Take this <laughs> out, put this. In. It's like that's oh, not yeah. nothing, man. Uh, that's really fascinating. But at a certain point, over this twenty-year process, my yeah. God. Realizing this is a 20-year uh, process of development to get us all the way up to, to this movie, that in this time and the hands that it's gone through, I'm wondering where it really wanted to lay its point down. Yeah. So um, that that made me looking into musical films in general, because obviously in the Broadway performance, there's no surreal dream type stuff. There's no crazy wheeling in a pool (laughs) into the theater they're not dancing on the walls you know that's none of that is what's happening clearly that is added for a magical musical element Mm -hmm. to the film the only other thing we've talked about is hamilton which was basically a filmed 
stage production. It wasn't really right. a musical film. Right, right. The, we did, I, I did look back, actually. I'm sorry. There's another one. We did talk about Cats. Yes. But that also did not do it well and right. was critically That was another one was like, well, what went wrong in this situation, you know? Yeah, yeah. So I wanted to see what is this film pulling from? Yeah. I found quite a few influences and specifically since we talk about adaptation all the time. Yes. What is the tone of this stuff? What is this supposed to be? What yeah. was it? If you're ready, we'll jump right in, oh, starting please, from, the, yes. from the very beginning of film. The jazz singer, if you're a film fiend, that's always thrown around because mm. that was the first feature-length talkie with sound. Yeah. And that came out in 1927. It also had seven songs with wow. it. Wow. Wow. The state of theaters, patrons were so used to seeing with live music, you know, you'd have kind of like a stage theater, like a pit with an orchestra in the bottom playing music over top of the thing. So a lot of theaters showed it as a silent film because they didn't have speaker. They didn't have sound. Oh, man. We've all, you know, maybe you've been through some sort of technological advance in the antiquated, like awkwardness between those steps. Like, think about it back then. That's. Yeah. Kind of funny. <laughs> yeah. So what's a speaker? Don't need it. I'm not yeah, paying for gonna, that. Get a violinist. Yeah, they're cheaper. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Through the next decade following the Great Depression, many theaters closed, the live performance theaters, and vaudeville stars went to Hollywood mm. because it was on an entirely different financial scale. Money, money, money. The uh-huh. same movie, thousands of quote unquote stages. You know, like God, how do you have a traveling troupe and they do a thousand performances in four years? But like, oh, you can do a thousand performances of this movie today at seven. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. so good lord, let's get just people into the theater. Start it again. <laughs> yeah. So the the musical component comes with the the musicians and composers. So there's a famous Very theater composer. George Cohen, who wrote, ironically, Give My Regards to Broadway, huh. if you've ever heard that song. It's, <laughs> he had 40 films that he worked on with songs during the Depression and only six stage shows. Oh, wow. So he made the complete flip during this yeah. time, as well as, think about his numbers, just in gross, the number of films explode. So just for the year 1930, there were 100 musical films made. Whoa. Comparing that to the closest, biggest time we have, the year 2016, which was when La La Land came out, that was one of four that came out that year. My God, so many musical films coming out. Which essentially are kind of stage, you know, they're they're filming. The yes, it's very early. You know, this starts in a room it. with the camera seeing the whole room, and the and and it's it's drawn in by the choreography and the intricacies of all of that. And then you yeah. know, as the medium progressed, we got we got closer, and we got we started cutting, and we started having big, long out, <laughs> drawn out shots that brought us into other locations. You know, yeah. Uh, so it, you saw that progress with the film with with cinema. Oh yes, and so that's the number one thing that propels the musical film medium because good lord people are getting tired just <laughs> films so they gotta they gotta update the, the the cinematic component of it as you said is untapped yeah. this leads to dance being the primary revolution for these films and so here comes influence number one the pool number in in the heights mm-hmm. they actually and this is being shown you know it's in the trailer it's in everywhere yeah. it is their big location piece yeah. it yeah. is the location of the movie <laughs> filmed in washington heights that pool found connection to one of our other episodes, bizarrely, was part of, in the 1930s, Robert Moses's construction mania mm. during 
<laughs> the, the the rise of New York. We talked about him in, a, in Motherless Brooklyn. Yes, Motherless Brooklyn. We just put that we just put that back out. Please go <laughs> listen to it if you didn't. Yeah, but so he's responsible for the pool that they're using. No in, in way! The yeah. Oh my gosh! Bizarre. Um, oh man! Weird person. Yeah, it's um, weird to understand how that stuff moves. Yeah, but now it's being used for this. So th- what this whole big pool number is inspired by is this guy Busby Berkeley who choreographed at least 30 films, mostly in the 1930s. Mm. This master choreographer, because that's the whole thing. It's all synchronized. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. 500 people. So they're pulling from him. Just a little bit about him to make some context make sense. I thought just interestingly, as a piece of trivia, the name on his birth certificate is blank. So Whoa. Busby was a nickname. He has no name. <laughs> that sounds like something cool you say to intimidate somebody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> He served in World War I as a field artillery lieutenant, drilling 1,200 soldiers in field choreography, mass movements wow. on the battlefield. So this, he is precise. He is epic. Man. He yeah. is on point. So this is his claim to fame, is these complex, insane geometric patterns, kaleidoscopic performances of these showgirls, especially, and this is the big changes, viewed from above. Uh-huh. And I'll put, you know, okay, it's, it's okay. the classic. I got you. The big, yeah, yeah. If you can picture the big swimming pool, the girls jumping in one by one, like that's been duplicated and parodied yep. a million times. I'll, I'll post a link in the show notes to this epic YouTube video where they show all the things he did with this style, just insanely synchronized. Touching yeah. on a, a recent reference for that, the, a mm-hmm. sequence uh, from the 30s, from one of these things is uh, not recreated exactly, but it's pulled to yeah. recreate in the Coen Brothers, one of their recent films, uh, Hail Caesar. You get oh, to yes. see yeah. the set of exactly one of these sequences, how it was done, uh, the intricacies, and how even banal it could look off camera. Um, <laughs> it's very interesting. I, I, oh, yeah. uh, Hail Caesar is really cool for that background old Hollywood look but if you're interested mm-hmm. in this kind of synchronization this this move from musicals dance swimming all that's what that film things, is about mm-hmm, yeah that yeah. this sequence speaks to to this guy and his style 100% yeah he's he's amazing horrible life I won't get into it but mm-hmm. when it comes to this stuff he's the master of it and yeah. people are copying him and yeah. he's this is what film is for to show this epic insane cinematic yeah. dance numbers The second thing to propel the medium, the competition from RKO films, is their chemistry of their performers that we all know and love. Fred Astaire, Ginger Rogers, the dancers, Mm -hmm. who then become film stars because they were in vaudeville. People saw them. People knew them. Now here comes In the Heights, one of their influences where – I think it's in the trailers and stuff. But they go into in this love song dancing on the side of this building on the fire escape. So Fred Astaire in the film Royal Wedding. I'll post a link to the video so you can see it. But he dances. He's dancing around because he finally falls in love and this girl loves dance. And then he starts dancing on the wall of this room. And then he starts dancing on the ceiling. Yep. The The video shows it's like they rotated it, like the rotating set, like an inception, where they had the hallway that spun around and they were going all over the place. They <laughs> yeah. did this at the time. It's super awesome. But they're definitely directly pulling from this other classic musical film. No, I have other, I have other problems with that sequence. <laughs> We can get into that if you want. Oh, I mean, I don't want I mean, I don't want to nitpick it. It's like the focus of the shot is this background and how beautiful this all is, which then leads into that sequence of them dancing on the side of the building, which I understand massive, huge effects sets. Uh, it's got to be green screen in the background. No problem. The problem is, is I really, from a filmmaking standpoint, disagree. Uh, I think they break their immersion by not being in the real place for the setup shot. Yeah. 
so here comes yeah some of the some of the tonal stuff. Yeah, I hate to get too in particular about what I like and don't like about a filmmaking process, but I think that this film has other authenticity problem in, in ways that I just don't agree with. So I these sometimes I'm really hesitant to put this stuff out <laughs> there, but in this case it you know I I felt like that they could have really worked in real immersion with having the setup shot, the first shot of the Brooklyn Bridge, her off the thing for it to be the real thing. Yeah, uh, and, and because you, it was a fake immediately. So I don't know. I, I yeah, I, I do. I do. It does. It does bring into question, like you're saying, the tonal stuff. What is a musical film supposed to be? Because film, as it's growing, will see the rise, fall, rise potentially yeah. again. Wizard of Oz keeps it going in 39, epic, outside the bounds of a stage, clearly mm-hmm. fantastical. Mm-hmm. And then into the 40s and 50s, we get adaptations of Broadway as well as originals, Singing in the Rain which ironically a big part of the plot is about adapting to the talkies. And then they say, oh, we're going to switch it to a musical, which is hilarious because no one would do that today. (laughs) No no one ever. No. Yeah. (laughs) Our quiet dramatic film isn't working. Let's add some songs and dance. Then it's people like that's supposed go. to clue into the audience is like maybe they're a little desperate and they need to like change yeah. it up. It's like that, like you, nobody would get that now because it'd be like, well, why? <laughs> <laughs> we talked about this in two weeks ago's episode. Animation is following suit. Disney's doing the musicals. Whoa, Sleeping whoa. Beauty comes out in 59 and then they started to, you know, decline. And that's where you have 101 Dalmatians, which didn't have any songs so, yeah, similarly, the studio system is going into decline. Like we talked about with Singing in the Rain, they realize like, oh, God, where are musicals fitting in? Because there is an emphasis on realism. Yeah. And West Side Story barely ekes out in 61 as an adaptation to film. But in this time, the Beatles have their weird musical film documentaries into the 70s and 80s, of course, over generalizing, but there's some memorable films with music in them, Footloose, Dirty Dancing, you right, know, right. But for it, the time it's period. in a way removed from the kind of synchronization, you know, pool swimming, that kind of old, right. old Hollywood <laughs> stuff. Um, so clearly they, the studios need a new approach before it dies out completely. But lo and behold, who comes back? Animation in the 90s. Right. Disney is back on it and basically copies the style of the 1930s and 40s musicals. Like, I didn't even really think about this, but in The Lion King, Just Can't Wait to Be King, that's Busby Berkeley, the kaleidoscopic, you know, feathers and all of that stuff. They're pulling from it completely. So the adaptation goes the other way. And now Lion King is on Broadway, (laughs) running for (laughs) over two decades, (laughs) which I think is fascinating. Yeah. I wanted to bring in one piece because we're talking about the rise, fall, and rise, and we tend to just veer towards America since that's where Evan and I are from. But we mm. cannot forget Bollywood, which no, never stopped. we would be remiss. Oh, gosh. Yeah. They have Nine, never stopped yeah. practicing. Uh, mm-hmm. This has been their bread and butter, man. Uh, and, and nobody, I like, I've hardly, I've seen, I've seen some of these movies and I like forget that that's like, man, that is what they do. <laughs> 90% of all film, Bollywood films are musicals. Yeah. Uh, they, and they even have the tools, man, and they have been mm-hmm. practicing forever. They have mastered it. <laughs> and as we go into the modern era, Baz Luhrmann, who did Moulin Rouge, which is known as kind of either the revitalization or or it really hits all the marks for right. fans of this. He said he was hugely inspired by Bollywood. He yeah. said about that style. He likes cinema where the audience participates in the movie, where they know they're watching a movie at all times. That's what he said. And I 100% agree. So I kind of had to look into because this is not in my wheelhouse. And this is opinion and conjecture for some reasons why Bollywood 
continues with this genre and pattern of filmmaking. Yeah. One of the big ones I saw, which makes sense to me and I didn't think about, public obscenity and intimacy portrayed in public is very much frowned upon mm. culturally. Mm -hmm. So using songs to compensate for those intimate scenes becomes the language of filmmaking ah. in Bollywood. So it's like the idea of a placeholder for a love scene. Yes. <laughs> or getting to know something. Yeah, yeah, so, so then so you start speaking in code. And now it's art. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And then that just carries over culturally forever I love to, it. to now. Uh, a big part also, music creating an alternate revenue stream, releasing the song early. Even if a movie is low rated, if the song's a hit, then the movie's going to do well because mm. people are going to it for the songs. <laughs> right. And then those songs that are in the movies, it kind of goes the other way. Somebody will have a popular song in America and then you hear it right. in a movie. Right, but this right. is the other way where people take songs from movies and they incorporate them into their life. So these love songs become wedding songs, dance numbers in clubs. Like it becomes part of culture after the film. Oh my gosh. And then I think it's just also a cultural difference, whole cloth. Like the expectation is to have songs in film. And now I mean, it has become impossible to separate. It's really fascinating to me looking at these, at the, the cultures who run with this kind of thing. You know, like we were perfecting the musical and through the back half of the, you know, the 40s and into the, you know, through the 50s and into the 60s. And we moved away and started figuring out how to make, uh, you know, sci fi worlds real and action <laughs> right. movies work. Uh, and that's what sold the tickets for the seats. Um, but it's so interesting to see other cultures latch on to things that they really like because India, uh, they have latched on not only to the musical genre, but the, uh, like, the action genre as well. Oh, yes. They're the movies that India produces are very, very specific, and they are a very abrasive, intense, innovative, <laughs> flashy as flashy as it. Can. I mean, that is the name of the game, uh, and they love these two in particular. These two mm -hmm. types of movies. They just absolute. That's what they make all the time. They put hundreds of millions of dollars into it. Bollywood is is as Hollywood as you can think it is. It really oh, yeah. is. Uh, but it's fascinating. It's kind of like K-pop in that situ in that situation where it's like you know we moved out of the Backstreet Boys and NSYNC after 2000 and that kind of thing. But that has completely become this new revolution of mm -hmm. K-pop, which is now, you have to reckon with it. It's huge. It, it, it's bizarre to me to think that this is inspired by like, you know, a, a guy who has a bunch of like boys contracts under his arm, <laughs> right. you know, in the, from 1995, you know, it's, it, and so it's very interesting to watch how these cultures take these things and run with them, make them their own. Again, going back to the Godzilla thing, I love seeing how that was batted back and forth between the cultures. Yeah. Um, that kind of speaks to the tonal question of the 21st century musical films. I think we see darker, more biopics or remakes. You mentioned yeah. La La Land, but even that references the golden age of Hollywood sort of looking yes, backwards. yes. Or they have a cast of well-known actors like in Mamma Mia and Hairspray and whatnot. Right. Uh, it's it's interesting. I don't know. This is sort of the question without an answer to our audience of like, is the modern musical film, is it in the heights? And what does it do right with that tone? If you have to you know, speak to pertinent yeah. social or sociopolitical issues or what a film does that a musical doesn't do, are there musical films that are dark or as Evan is saying, like authentic, realistic. I don't even really know. I don't even know. You know, I would you know, yeah. but it comes down back into the things that they switched out and moved around where it's like that uh, love triangle is very mm -hmm. interesting. 
uh, and it could have added a lot and it could, you know, and the, the, um, the, the mom that doesn't exist, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. that, that could have added so much dynamicism to this. I don't know. I, I, it, it, it's, it's really difficult because we don't trash things here and we don't, you know, we don't rag on things here, but it's, <laughs> and also the, the unfairness of like, this is the first time something like this is happening. Yes. This it's has not, so it, much more unfair scrutiny because it is yeah. a movie about minorities that, that it hogs the conversation <laughs> and it, and it really detracts from what is kind of going on here. And I, it's, it is unfair, but that's part of the reckoning. And it's part of the growing pains that we have as an audience who's going to be in taking these things is we've got to reckon with this. And that's what I see in their interviews because their, their press junket has been destroyed by this controversy but the director john m chu he is taking it on his shoulder and going hey let this be the example to get it right the next time let right. this now it is evident let we show if you have this if this is a problem now it is out there in the open uh and you have your choices made for you next time uh, mm -hmm. so i i really appreciate that about this but it gets down to a, another conversation of which i think that the problems are not too specific on one aspect or the other but there is a a swirl of problems here that that add to this inauthentic, inauthentic feel then and it's 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 a bit of a shame and I, and it maybe is a bit of a shame that it is dragging like i said that it is dragging <laughs> the the focus here um and not just thinking about maybe what this did right. Um, <laughs> right. On a positive note, it's know. like, good Lord, a, a music, uh, you know, a mainstream musical film. Right. You know, it, it is not hollow. It is just, it is not everything yet. It's very interesting. Let us know what you think about this because it's right. This is, there's no clear answer for this. Nobody's wrong. No, I, I, and maybe I that's the unfortunate you know? thing. Like you said, everybody wants the expectation or it was marketed as, hey, this is everything. Right. <laughs> and I like the way you said it, where it's like, oh, it's not everything. Like, well, but that's okay too. <laughs> right. You know, like, is that the, the fault of musical films? <laughs> people yeah. want everything. They want romance. They want music. They I want... think people are, are quick to point fingers and go, you did this. And I'm like, I, I actually think that this, it's, it has a lot of problems, a lot of complex problems in which I see easily could have fallen into people's blind spots while making this. Well, let us know, please reach out yeah. to us at Illiterate Pod. What did you like about it? Did you like it? I don't know. I I wasn't the biggest fan of it, but uh, I certainly appreciate it for what it is. Uh, let us know if you if you liked it. If you didn't like it, what were your problems with it? What did it do right? What did it do wrong? We would love to hear from you. At Illiterate Pod on Instagram, send us a message. Thank you so much for listening. Yeah.